Hello and welcome to the Football Ramble. It's Thursday the 18th of June. I'm Jules Breach. I'm Jim Campbell. And I'm Andy Brassel. Hello, boys. This is nice. This is new. Andy, normally we're so used to just having the two of us, but we now have Jim Campbell. Yeah, and you guys are normally three different people for me. So this is, uh, <laughs> this is new and very welcome for all, for, for all of us. So. I know. It's all very new Football Ramble Daily at the moment, but I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this across the next few yes. weeks as there mm. is so much football to take in. And uh, Jim... Happy birthday. Oh, well, thank you very Happy much. Happy birthday, Jim. You were waiting for, for that, weren't you? Yeah, maybe a bit. What are your birthday plans? Um, I am going to eat in a way that will be so awful that it will be like a low point in human history. Are we talking like Matthias de Ligt with species? his salad? <laughs> is, is that what we're talking about? Have, have, have you seen it? Was it salad or pasta? That. He was in the canteen at Juventus and he was being filmed, presumably by one of his teammates, just eating really unselfconsciously. Like most of the time you see de Ligt and you think he's so grown up for his age and there he looked like a eight-year-old like a sort of toddler like, like, like smashing loads of dinner in his mouth as quickly as, as quickly as possible i really hope salad isn't on the menu for your birthday not today no, no. i've been very um I've, I've been eating very healthily over the lockdown because it's so easy not to um so i'm gonna i'm gonna destroy all that today and i tell yes. you what i've seen some photos jim you are looking fabulous oh, thanks cheers Joel. you don't <laughs> get that with marcus lo- lots of Do exercise marcus. have you been going to town on the exercise i have yeah just going to town in my room um, basically, my, my neighbours, my, my neighbours. I think they're all like one of them's a PT, definitely. Um, and they work out on their balcony so much, and it sort of shamed me into kind of doing the same. So, well done, guys. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you very much. That's very kind of you. Um, also, um, obviously, I think stress can cause weight loss. So, um, Arsenal might be responsible for that. I was about- Despite only having been back for a day. I was about to say, this is as nice as I'm going to be to you because the rest <laughs> of this pod, we're going to talk a lot about Arsenal and how bad they were last night. Mm. Um, Andy, what about you? How, how's your last week been? You've been super busy doing loads of comms on the Bundesliga. Yeah, and interestingly, last night when I was doing uh, co-coms on Dortmund versus Mainz and updating on all the other Bundesliga games, there were some huge ones going on at the the same time. Every so often, someone in an adjacent commentary booth to me was doing Manchester City versus Arsenal. So occasionally, when there was a little dip, the only things I heard of Manchester City or Arsenal until I got home, apart from you guys on the WhatsApp, was, (laughs) David Luiz! (laughs) And Kevin De Bruyne! Yeah. Uh, and, and that that was it, really. And you think, oh, okay, kind of something's tells, happening. It tells a lot of the story. Is, is that my match report? Way. Is that our match report? That's the football <laughs> rambles match report. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to talk about, but let let's start with last night's games then, because the Premier League is back. Oh my god, oh. it is so good to have it back. It's it, it's felt like ever since the news was announced that the Premier League was going to come back and we were going to start with these games in hand. It's just felt like this really big build-up to the point where when I woke up yesterday, it, it genuinely felt like an occasion. It mm. felt... Mm. I was so excited and nervous because I still had so much work to do on my FPL team. But <laughs> the whole day was just spent just like, hurry up, six o'clock. Come yeah. on, I just want the football on now. Definitely. It was like um, if the World Cup is football Christmas... 
this was sort of like your football birthday. And I'm not just saying that because it is my birthday. Um, <laughs> just to remind everyone. Um, but yeah, there, there, there was that huge sense of occasion. I don't know about you, but did, did you find that actually initially it was quite hard to process? Like I, I couldn't, I didn't feel present in the moment knowing I was watching Premier League football because I've been looking forward to it so much. And you had the strangeness of, uh, of the, you know, no fans at Villa Park. And it's Villa Park as well. It's a, it's a really, yeah. really iconic stadium. It's a little bit different from seeing um, seeing stadiums being empty in Germany and, and, and Spain and Italy. It just, I don't know, there's something stranger about it being at home. And obviously there's so much more hair on display and you've got the weird <laughs> kind of fake crowd noise being pumped in or the option where it's not being pumped in and it's weirdly ghostly. So it took me a while to actually be able to kind of get my head into it. I actually quite, I slipped into it pretty quickly, you know, because I was watching it first of all, because so um, I'm sure you all know this because you were probably all watching the game last night, the first one, Aston Villa, Sheffield United. I was watching it, first of all, on the Sky channel that didn't have the crowd noise. And then you had right. the option to change the channel and have it on the channel that did have the fake crowd noise. So at the start, I was watching without and it was all very surreal. And obviously, the way the players walk out onto the pitch is very different. There's no handshakes. They were all stood very far apart from each other. That all felt very different. And looking at the empty stands was weird. I was looking around and I could see loads of my mates who were reporters kind of <laughs> sat in the seats right at the front. That was all very strange. And then as soon as I switched over to the channel that had the crowd noise, it very quickly felt so normal. And I, yeah. I almost didn't even notice that there weren't fans there. And I hate myself for saying that because I really want there to be fans in the stadium. But actually, I think what we'll all find as we get more used to football being played like this, when you have that fake crowd noise and the way the Premier League have done things by putting banners on those lower stands, I don't think you notice it at all. Yeah, and I think it's, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because you generally tend to see the first few rows and the advertising boards are so big and we'll find this especially when we get to the Champions League which I suppose we'll, we'll, we'll talk about later the advertising boards are so massive that you can't really see much beyond that and it is a rare game where the crowd noise is so intense that it really jumps out of the mm. the, the, the the TV at you isn't it you know it's, it has to be a, a huge occasion game I, I, I don't know whether that be a European game at Dortmund or a, a Liverpool-Manchester United game or, or, or something like that. So that general munge of, munge. of, of, of the crowd noise. Don't, yeah. don't replace that vowel with a different one. <laughs> I like it though. It's kind of it's onomatopoeic somehow, isn't it? It's, a know, it's, 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 the, it's the second time I've, I've used that this, this, this week. Uh, yeah. Beat munging was, was a big oh. thing in the 90s. Right. It was it was how drum and bass got to sound like drum and bass. You know, big when you go in a club, drum and bass. That's from the beat munging process that happens in the studio. Right. So this is not a kind of like you trying to make fetch happen style thing. This is actually, you're not kind of trying to create your own slang. Terms. No, I'm it's not creating some... my own culture. Having been <laughs> quarantined for so long, it's it's not like that. But I just think um, I, I I don't know if I've examined the crowd noise too closely. It's not. It's not for me. I don't know how it has oh, been really? for, for for you guys, but I can understand it's quite sort of comforting for some, like sort of white noise. Because I think if you're concentrating on it too much, it just doesn't sound authentic. It sounds like FIFA, basically. Yeah. It, that, you know, especially the the goal noises don't really have it. Obviously, we didn't get any goal noises at Villa for uh, reasons that we'll get into. Yeah, we'll get but... onto that. I, what did you think of it, Jim? Because I I actually quite liked it. Like I said, it kind of. It, it for me kind of felt quite normal and mm. it didn't feel f 
false. It didn't feel fake. I actually sat in a Premier League briefing earlier on this week um, and we were, t- we were told exactly how these um, fake sounds worked. So for each Premier League game, you, uh, there's a specific sound man for that game and they'll be sent a soundtrack. And that soundtrack can um, comprise of lots of different things. It will be real sounds from the previous match played between those two teams and other matches involving those teams. So they will be real fans chanting. Mm. It's not necessarily fake noise. And they'll have different buttons they can press for specific things so one of the things I did notice that I thought was quite funny that they missed is there was a moment in the Manchester City game where Sterling went flying in for a tackle or something and he slipped over and normally you'd hear way and there was no way and I was like I was like oh Sam man missed a trick there yeah completely no I I did yeah I, I noticed that and um yeah I think I feel like it's it's still strange, but I find it less jarring than the silence, if that makes sense. Because I, th- I think it's just a familiarity thing. But I think the unfortunate nature of it, where it where you, where it becomes really apparent that it's it, that it's not real, and you get that sort of like almost like a kind of oral uncanny valley thing, you know, where it's your brain knows something isn't quite right, even though it appears to mostly be normal. Is that with the Villa Sheffield United game because it was quite a flat game? It ma- it meant you had quite flat crowd sounds. Yeah. Which makes you think, sort of, what's the point? Like you've, you're creating a flat atmosphere, and I understand that that it, it needs to reflect what's happening on the pitch. And you, you know, the sound man can't be getting bored and going, "Oh, let's pretend they've scored a goal," or like, "Oh, let's put a song on." You know, he can't, he can't do that stuff. But I, I found that to be a little bit of a little bit weird. But again, probably better than the silence. Yeah. See, I'm fine with the silence because a that's reality, and b. You learn some stuff about football and about the teams that, mm. that maybe you wouldn't have before. Like we've learned in Germany that David Alaba is the big shouter in the yes. in the Bayern game. That's definitely worked out for Alfonso Davis, that's for sure. But I think we've learned, I've certainly learned in Portugal over the last two weeks, their players moan a lot more than Bundesliga players. <laughs> they really whinge at the referee. It's funny how they've said in the Bundesliga there's been less whinging at the referee, the ball's been in play more, there's been less diving, all this yeah. sort of stuff. Um, but th- there's there's definitely been as much moaning as normal at the referee in Portugal. Or, in fact, maybe there's been... That's a scary thought. If that's less moaning than normal, <laughs> when you can hear all of it. But I'd, I'd really like to find out that sort of stuff about Premier League players. You know, who's the one who gives mm. the most chip? Who's the one who complains to the referee the most? I, I really want to find yeah. that out. I'm not settled on how I'm going to watch the games yet. I flitted yeah. between to sort of try and work it out. Well, look, I'm, 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 not, not. I'm not telling anyone else how to watch it. I, I think mm. it's, um, you know, a personal preference. And if people want to get crowd noise on, then then, then great. Funnily enough, going backwards, I, it's, it, hearing it with no noise at all and just hearing the players shouting at each other is not as weird as an experience. I went to a game at Dortmund when they played Nuremberg, um, the not this season, but last season, um, towards the start of the season. And they won quite comfortably in the end. But there was a fan protest because they were trying to get rid of Monday night football, the mm. fans at, at the time. We've seen all those um, fan protests where they've like thrown tennis balls on the pitch and all that, all that sort of stuff. The crowd didn't make any noise for the first 20 minutes. And when you've got a stadium full of 80,000 people, yet you can hear the players shouting at each other and you can hear that what is now quite familiar for us, I suppose, watching football over the last couple of weeks, that sound of the the foot smacking on the ball. Mm. 
when you've got that and you've got a completely full stack, that is weird. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, that's really weird. That's it's eerie, isn't it? Like, the, yeah. there's a. The, 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 I'm think I'm I'm reminded of that scene in the birds, you know, where they're all just sort of like just waiting. Speaking of silences, there was um, a couple of moments I think are worth mentioning before we get on to talking about the football. And it was before kickoff we saw both teams do a minute of silence uh, to remember anyone who passed away during this pandemic and to recognise the efforts of the NHS, which I thought was a really nice touch. And of course, the brilliant campaign from Black Lives Matter to have Black Lives Matter on the back of every shirt instead of having players' names. And on top of that, all of the players in unity taking the knee before kickoff. And there was this silence as they did it. And I thought it was so powerful, Andy. Yeah, it really was. And um, I think in a way, the Premier League coming back a little bit late has, has given it the opportunity to, to, to look at other leagues and, and, and think about things and sort of cherry pick the best of what's working elsewhere. Now, on one hand, I do think that players like Raheem Sterling, Marcus Rashford, Harry Kane, with their willingness to engage, have really propelled the agenda. And I, I think that's really important. And, you know, it, it should be the authorities leading rather than the players. But the, the players, have, I think, have got to a point, and especially young players under 25, have got to the point, and, you know, Melissa Reddy's talked to us about, about this on Jules and Andy before. They've got to the point where they think, we're going to grab the ball by the horns and we're going to say what we feel is important. And I feel... You know, in in defence of um, the, the the Premier League and the, the football authorities, they seem to have responded to that. But in terms of working out room for expression, I think the Premier League has taken its lead lead from, and in fact, all leagues have taken their lead from, say, the Bundesliga, both in terms of what they've liked about it and what they haven't liked about it, because. I think everyone from the first weekend of the Bundesliga, for example, coming back thought it was generally a big success. It was quite, it was, it, it was safe, which was the most important thing, of course. But funnily enough, all the international press everywhere in Spain, Italy, um, France, well, 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 why didn't you do a minute silence for, 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 for the people who died during the pandemic? Mm. And to be fair, they responded and corrected that in subsequent weeks. But because the Bundesliga was this sort of guinea pig, that's something that other leagues can look at and do quite well. And I think the thing with the uh, Black Lives Matter on the, on the on the back of the shirt, it's a great initiative, but it's interesting. If you go back to the first um, week of Portugal coming back, um, the players didn't have their names on the backs of their shirts and they wrote the names of um, nurses and doctors. Oh, okay. The first names of nurses and doctors on, mm. on, the, on the back of their shirts. So I, th- I think this idea, if going forward, the idea that football can share best practice on engaging with the community, I I think is a a really good thing. And of course, the world is so small when we're all stuck, stuck inside and looking at what everyone else all over the world is, is doing. And that's, that's how the world's changing really, isn't it? Just not just in, in football as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the term room for expression is, is a really interesting one that that you used Andy as well, because football is always talking about how it can be used as a positive tool for change, but actually quite often, they talk a good game when it comes to that. Being within practiced. set parameters. Exactly. Within, within corporately approved parameters. And it's exactly that, yeah. isn't it? It's corporately approved. It's very, very sterile. There's the, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fence sitting and there's not, there's not really much room for, for manoeuvre for, for how players can express themselves. And for the Premier League to not just kind of, uh, or for leagues everywhere, not to just overlook 
you know, the kind of sticking points of their own rules when players want to express solidarity, but to yeah. actually actively invite it in is a really, really positive thing. And we've seen, uh, as you, you t- both touched on with um, Daniel Rashford, as um, <laughs> uh, Health Secretary Matt Completecock <laughs> called him. Um, uh, it, it's, it really feels like him and, and, and players like Sterling and Kane, as you've mentioned, have taken this into their own hands. And uh, and that that's it's so good. They are leading by example at a time when that, that's really, really important. And this sort of stuff is... It's so important that it's visible so that Black Lives Matter stays in the public consciousness as well and it doesn't just sort of disappear. That's it. They're not just doing it for a week or the yeah. first round of games, which would be easy to do. They've committed to doing it for the whole 12 weeks, haven't they? Mm. And the 12 weeks? Nine, is it? Is it? Oh, time's different now, isn't it? Yeah. It's, let's not <laughs> worry about time. The foreseeable. Yeah, but it, I think it's so important and the fact that the managers were all asked about it afterwards mm. and you've got huge voices and huge characters like Pep Guardiola and Mikel Arteta then having their say on it. It's those kind of voices that really spreads the word and mm. it just made it such a powerful message. So that was um, that was great to see. All right, let's talk about the football now, boys, because as we said, Premier League football is back. It's so good to have it back on the telly. So good that we have so much to talk about as well. And despite the fact there were only two matches in the Premier League last night, there are so many good talking points, but it does feel like we've picked up exactly where we left off. Man City are still bloody brilliant. Sheffield United still solid defensively. Aston Villa still in the relegation zone. Quite happy about that. And Arsenal, Jim, <laughs> just Arsenal. Just a calamity. Yeah, just an absolute calamity. Like it's it's almost cliched, isn't it? It was almost it was so almost like hack writing it from was reality so, it was for so Arsenal ob- to be it was that so Arsenal. Obviously going to happen though, <laughs> yeah. wasn't it? I mean from from even before the game. So I mean if you listing the calamities is 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 ridiculous. Like so before the game, there's a lot of controversy that Arsenal ate dinner at Stansted Airport. <laughs> Who wants then... to eat dinner at an airport? Yeah, Never. exactly. No one wants like, that. Well, no, I think that makes sense. Like, you know, you've, you've got your luggage, you've got to get all the kids, like, in the right place. You just want to get in giraffe, get them fed, <laughs> and then get, get, get on the plane. I think it's the most sensible way to yeah. deal with it. To be fair, a breakfast at the airport, essential, but yeah. I wouldn't want to eat dinner mm, in an airport. Yeah, exactly. Quite right? right. Do you reckon, like, one of the players sat there, you know, you're all expected, obviously, to have a, a certain thing, and do you reckon, you know, maybe that's why Ozil got dropped. He like <laughs> put his hand up and goes, well, actually, I'm I'm going to have, uh, you know, huevos rancheros and bollocks yeah. to you. I'm going to have a Bloody Mary. No, God. <laughs> <laughs> what was that about though, Jim? Why were they, why did they decide to fly to Manchester first of all and fly that late in the day? It was so close to kickoff. They took yeah. off at five o'clock, I heard. It, exactly. So, I mean, it, it's stormy conditions. So obviously there's a risk there that, you know, they might not have landed. And that was their plan, wasn't it? Forfeit the game, yeah, and, <laughs> and take the three nil defeat. I Who'd have thought? Am I missing something? Why didn't they take the train? I don't know, or the, or or a coach, or perhaps there's a distancing reason. But I'm sure Arsenal have got enough coaches that it can be can be distant. It's a very very strange decision. But so they arrive. Then there's the Meza Özil situation, which uh, Mik- Mikel Arteta told us that he'd explain after the match, and then after the match he said it was tactical. One word <laughs> answer, <laughs> literally <laughs> a one word. I was waiting for this really long explanation. I was buzzing for the post match interview. Yeah, I was like, same. we cannot miss the post. I was I wanted to get into bed to be honest, but I thought right, need to watch this post match interview. <laughs> And then he, it was literally a one-word answer, tactical. Yeah. What? Well, maybe he didn't expect to have to be talking to Jeff Shreves. Oh, God. I had a lot to say, but I, just, I mean, I want to get to bed now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, then obviously the beginning of the game, Arsenal have two injuries pretty much straight away. Um, and then the, the David Luiz comes on uh, right at the death. Uh, he, he has that deflection come off his, his shin. And there's a bit in, the, if you watch the slow motion replay, you can see him go, ah. 
<laughs> just like it's really funny. You can almost hear it. It's like a sideshow Bob sort of noise. And sideshow Bob trended on Twitter straight away. Then right after the break, he gives away a penalty and gets sent off. And then from then on, it's just just very very Arsenal, isn't it? It's just there's so many different facets of Arsenal's ridiculousness all at once. That's like a sort of six or seven chapter um, kind of <laughs> book. There have in been, one game. There have been so many statistics flying about about David Luiz ever since he got sent off. The penalties one is unbelievable, though. To mm. give away four penalties since signing for Arsenal and giving one away every six and a half games, that's, that is madness when yeah. you think about it. Will does we... it feel like more to anyone? <laughs> it sort of does. I think with Luiz, you kind of, you, you kind of count... Brazil and Chelsea and PSG. Yeah, quite. Do you know what I mean? It feels like he is this sort of vortex where this this chaos happens around him so that it doesn't really matter what club he's doing it for. You you feel every single one of those mistakes for other clubs, even when it's happening for yours. It's, it's cost a lot, quite a lot of money cumulatively, mm. as, as, hasn't it, as well? When you think about those, those big moves, especially between uh, Benfica, uh, Paris Saint-Germain and Chelsea, um, I... I interviewed him in New York um, probably about four or five years ago before the start of the season when he was um, with Paris Saint-Germain. We talked about um, the World Cup semi-final. We talked about um, the Champions League final with Chelsea, which will remain, I think, the greatest match of his life. Mm. I mean, he uh, told me the story actually about how the day before the final, he was crying in pain. He, He couldn't move. And because um, basically his, one of his calves had, had wasted away and he suffered some like permanent damage to it. I mean, it looks horrible. Obviously, we always see him with his, his, his socks up. I mean, Jules was saying on, on WhatsApp last night when we were talking about it, how is Andy going to do his <laughs> David Luiz defence? And um, well, I'm taking a lead from our posi- uh, politicians. I'm just going to take it in a totally different direction. <laughs> That's my plan. Because there is no David Luiz defence. But... Um, yeah, it's, you know, like when you go backwards and you think of David Platt at one point in terms of cumulative transfer fees, yeah. he, he, was, he was up there as he was, he was either the most expensive player of all time when you added all the transfer uh, fees together or, or, or not far off. And David Luiz has been like, he's such a peculiar character because yeah. on his day, he's formidable on every sense, in every sense, but we're getting his day less and less. Mm. And going back to the expense over transfer fees, I mean, what do you make, Jim, of like what's come out in recent weeks about uh, what Arsenal paid for him? I mean, it's it it just seems a a really uh, like just disingenuous way of doing business, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's 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 turning out to be really expensive. Are we judging him kind of more negatively because of that as well? I think he wouldn't be judged on that at all if he wasn't doing stupid things like that. So it becomes <laughs> part of the package, doesn't it? Like I think yeah. very clearly it was it wasn't a decision that was thought out very well because it happened very late in the transfer window. Mm. It was one of those ones where you go, oh, actually, you know, three three months ago, I'd have thought this is a ridiculous idea, but because it's him or no one now, and absolutely it's reactive. Like if if, if football football was a soap opera, has anyone got David's number? Yeah, exactly. A bit bit like that. Yeah, completely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's some sort of, you know, 
ridiculous character coming coming in from the cold or, or, or from from out of left field. So I just find the whole thing very frustrating because as you know, everyone from Roy Keane to Jamie Carragher has said that these mistakes are just part of his game. He's too old for them to be a thing he's going to iron out. It's just mm. for whatever reason, be it concentration or, or whatever, that is just part of it. And when we've seen him at his best, it's so often he's been part of a three, isn't he? Mm. Where he's effectively quite weirdly sort of being babysat and at that point he becomes really good and he's like it, it's, it's like it takes other people to focus him and if you know Arsenal are probably the one of the worst clubs in the world for that for the defenders around you mm. focusing you do you know what I mean that, that, that's the exact problem it's too much chaos and I think he was you know what seemed like a bargain which actually turned out to one be really expensive but mm. but in, in in hindsight was wrong place wrong time wrong person really so it's just you know, Carragher was saying after the game, after sort of nipping back from his weird little creepy touchline yeah, umbrella, umbrella position, yeah. bless him. Um, I like the idea of him roving all over the stadiums, though, like just generally in future, even with fans back. Well, but, isn't that what you want to do with like an empty stadium? Yeah, just go for a little completely. wander about. I mean, you get there super early that. when you when you work, Jules. Do you have a little bit of a snoop? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I go wherever I'm allowed to. Quite often I get told, you're not allowed in that bit. I'm like, oh, it's great to have a little snoop around. Yeah, exactly. But I, I think Carragher was saying that he might have played his last game for Arsenal. And Arteta said in the post-match that, you know, this changes nothing about his opinion of him. But obviously he's got to, you know, toe the line a little bit. But I mean, I would... And I would, also Pablo Marie's out injured well, for a bit. Yeah, quite. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's going to be a problem. I think, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure on what the status of Socrates is, but um, it, there are clearly injury problems mounting up already. So... I, yeah, I just, uh, it, it's an experiment. It's not worked out. And I fully expect to see David Luiz's extension um, of another year happen just because it's easier than signing someone. I mean, to be fair yeah. to him, to, to put his hand up at the end yeah. of the match in the dressing room and say, do you know what? I'll go out. I'll speak to the press. I don't want any other players to go out and talk to them and have to defend me. Mm. I don't want my manager to have to just sit, stand there and defend me in his post-match interview. I'll come out. I'll admit my errors and and I'll speak to you guys. I thought that was actually pretty good of him. Yeah, especially as he spoke about he spoke about it vaguely, but he did, he did speak about the contract situation, which yeah. is again a really you very rarely hear players talk about that. Maybe we are ushering in an, a kind of an honest kind of era in a lot of senses now. But well, I don't um, know, Jim. I mean, we t- we talked about tournament ramble, didn't we? I mean, mm. I wonder if they've got that sort of tournament head on. You know, where they just yeah. like. Come in, come into the 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 mix zone afterwards. The players and uh, come in and do an interview. And you go, yeah, actually, I hate my club and the coach, and I'm going to leave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, say yeah. what you want on international <laughs> yeah. duty. Yeah. I can't believe how quickly the Arsenal like you know, house of cards has just fallen apart <laughs> straight, straight away. away. Jim, what about Man City though? Weren't they brilliant? They really I mean, were. they 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 don't look like they've had a break. I don't know whether it was the comparison to Arsenal as well, but Arsenal didn't really look very sharp they, no. they didn't quite look as fit as Manchester City did and I know it's going to be hard for any team to play Manchester City because they are just so good but they looked fresh they looked sharp they were they, they showed fight as well mm. I feel like Man City are going to be one of the teams in the Premier League who won't suffer for not playing in front of their fans yeah very much so it, they, they're so ruthlessly professional aren't they and I think that's that kind of kind of icy kind of dead-eyed coldness they have is probably going to serve them quite well because you know they they really flew out of the blocks as well I think quite early on Pablo Mari um, made a foul on Raheem Sterling where Sterling was just too quick for him it, it, it sort of it just sort of happened by accident and they dropped off a little bit after that but I was really impressed by the second wind now I know they were playing against 10 men but that second half they didn't they looked so so sharp and they were they were so so up to the normal pace which m- makes me think like that they're just they're just going to be fine, aren't they? And they're one of the teams which the five subs rule 
Oh my god! I mean, it's ridiculous. You can bring Aguero yeah. off the bench. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, come on, give us a chance. Yeah, yeah, it's it's absolutely brutal. And um, personally, that's why it's not a rule that I would like to stay beyond this um, uh, beyond this particular situation. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's gonna it's gonna work for them. The thing is, the rest of Manchester City's season is is quite strange. I mean, it's all focused on on one game, really, isn't it? The the return against. Uh, Real Madrid and seeing how they they go from there because we know they're going to finish second. We know, well, is is it going to be enough for them to get in the Champions League? I mean, we're we're still assuming that fifth is going to get you in, aren't we? At the, yeah. at, at the moment, so it's a very unusual rest of season for them. So really, it's it's funny, and it's not just because we're placing them in this context with Arsenal at the moment where there's so much to pick apart with Arsenal and Manchester City have just done exactly what we expected them to do, being brilliant. The, the fact is, this next week and a half, two weeks, is absolutely vital in Manchester City's medium-term yeah. future. And it's it's hard to think beyond that, isn't mm. it? Well, it was a brilliant win for Manchester City. Straight out the blocks, a 3-0 victory over Arsenal. And there was another game last night, Aston Villa, Sheffield United. We'll talk about that one after this. You're listening to the Football Ramble with me, Jules Breach, Jim Campbell and Andy Brassel here as well in this lovely new format as we delve into the festival season of Premier League football. It all kicked off last night and there was another game that we wanted to talk about, Aston Villa, Sheffield United. It ended a goalless draw, but there should have at least been one goal, Jim. Yeah. How has this not been given? You might even argue there was one goal, Jules. <laughs> yeah, it's it's absolutely fascinating this, isn't it? I mean, again... It's madness. Arsenal screwing everything up straight away, everyone being angry about VAR. It's Nothing has changed. No. Like, it's, it's amazing. Nothing has changed. But, but it, it kind of has because... Like goal line technology not working. That's something. Yeah. That's something different. Well, have you seen Hawkeye's explanation for it? Yes. It is astonishing. So it's it's effectively it's not that it didn't work. Um, they said that all seven of its cameras that monitor the goal have been obscured by either a goalkeeper or the goalkeeper, rather a defender, or the post. So surely they've been in that situation before, though. Well, that's I, what I was trying to think. But the, the the odds of that must be astronomical because clearly there's nothing in the protocols to to prepare for this sort of thing. So it, maybe they'd never even thought that it was mm. that it was possible for every angle to be obscured. It's but, interesting the idea that it's got a blind spot, isn't it? Yeah, and it, I mean this could be a handy kind of uh, a excuse, handy couldn't spot. it? Could be a little sort of PR. It is interesting to hear you talk about Hawkeye, Jim, because I notice it's goal line technology most of the time, and now it's not working. It's Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Yeah, blame tennis. Blame tennis people. (laughs) Let's put responsibility on the provider. I mean, it's it's interesting for for me. I'm I'm quite used to this because they had a a massive problem going back uh, to last season in in French football where goal line technology wasn't working, and so the ball would go over the line. The referee's watch wouldn't go off. Uh, the ball would go nowhere near over the line and like the referee's watch would go off. And so no one knew where they were. Everyone was, yeah. it was like having a robot Stuart Atwell on the case pretty much. <laughs> and in the end, like what seven, eight games from the, from the end of the season, they ripped out all the goal line technology facilities from all of the stadiums and said, we're going to do without it for the end of last season. Sat the provider, got in another one. I'm not telling you what to do, Premier League. I'm just saying that's what happened. <laughs> well, I think that they, they that Hawkeye's response was that this has never happened in 9,000 games of testing. So this 
does sound like it was a one-off if, if that is the case. At, at first, when I was watching, I thought, oh my God, Michael Oliver's forgot to turn his watch yes, on. Exactly. That was my instant <laughs> thought. But obviously <laughs> it was on and they have to do all these checks before kickoff. I think it's a couple hours before, before kickoff. Yeah. They have to go through all of these checks to check that all the technology is working. The thing that people are arguing about and, and the reason why Sheffield United should feel hard done by is people are saying, why didn't VAR get involved? We could all see from watching mm. on our tellies that that ball went over the line. I have to say, when I first saw it, I did think, oh, is the entire ball over the line? Because that that is the rule. The entire ball has to be over the line. But when you watch a replay from a side angle, it's clear it yeah. was. Now, that's not Michael Oliver's fault. So I feel a bit sorry for him because it's, mm. not, it's not really his fault. The oh, watch, the watch didn't work. He wasn't in a position to be able to see that that ball had gone over the line. But the point is, we have VAR technology. We have people sat in a room in Stockley Park watching yeah. those screens and being able to see that that ball did go over the line, why they didn't intervene is obviously a bit of a grey area. Yeah, it makes you wonder, like, are they watching the game? You know, sometimes I watch the game, but I'll actually be on WhatsApp and Instagram as well. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, are, they, are they doing the same? Like, because it was so it was so obvious to all of us watching it, surely. The people sat in a specific building created for the watching of football you know, with a sort of fine-toothed visual comb. How have they it's missed that and not cabin, stepped Jim. in? Let's, let's, let's not, let's not <laughs> glamorise it. Yeah, all right, fair enough. <laughs> Again, why is it a portal cabin? Make it nice. You know, make them feel comfortable so they can concentrate on the game. But it's just, it's absolutely staggering. And it's, it's sort of the tail wagging the dog, really, isn't it? Because perhaps they felt like, oh, well, actually... You know, goal line technology would have caught this if it if it had gone in, so we don't have to intervene. Mm. Like they they should have used some discretion and some some dare I say common sense, but like it, an old colonel. Is it, <laughs> <laughs> isn't this the difficulty with VAR though? Because it's been limited to covering certain situations, mm. so it doesn't go too far. But the application of it is quite sort of subjective anyway isn't it it? so i'm presuming the reasoning used for why var hasn't intervened is because that's something that doesn't fall within var's remit it falls in goldline technologies remit which is something different but then again you find just by different officials in different countries var is used in a slightly different way in all of them Mm. Uh, it was interesting to hear Chris Wilder's thoughts on it as well afterwards, and and <laughs> which is a very funny interview. And and he he took it really well, considering because yeah. that goal would have put them in fifth place. Yeah. They would have been in a Champions League spot. Sheffield United. It could United. be so significant. It could be so significant. I mean, I'm raging about it because Villa I mean it meant that Villa got a point, and they yeah. shouldn't have got a point out of that game. And obviously, as a Brighton fan. Every single point well, for any team around us at the moment is so... I know they're still in the relegation zone, Andy Villa, but still, that point could make all the difference come the end of the season. Yeah, but I, I, it's not as simple as just taking goals out of games like that, is it, or, or, or putting them in. Because for all I know, or for all we know, like if that goal had counted as it, as it should have done, Aston Villa and Dean Smith right, right said at halftime, right, let's get after him and gone on and won the second half. Yeah, that's true. It's, so it's possible, but it, having seen how the I mean, game I'm not did saying they out, shouldn't have been given the goal, just to say. It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, but yeah, I, I think I think they'll be. They have good cause to be uh, to be hard done by there. I wonder if if it was the they've been hard the... done by by the Premier League before though. So nah, exactly. It's fine. Well, they'll get over team, it. Every team has really, haven't they? We've. I think most teams have been subject of a bad decision from 
a technical perspective this season at some stage. Yeah. So it all it all. Are you going to say it eats itself it. out? <laughs> <laughs> it does all kind of come back around and even itself out? You could say. I will tell you what, from our from our experience of working at home, they they just should have said it. It buffered. They <laughs> just should have said that. Well, I wonder if the, if the goalkeeper's reaction was part of it because he he looked so confident that it wasn't a goal that it made me think. But I saw it go in. Did it? Did it not? And I don't know. Maybe he's he's tripping. Oh, but come on, Park. Roy Carroll was like that, wasn't he? Yeah, all those, uh, yeah, all those yeah, years yeah. ago. It's fine. Just play on. What are you worried play about? Yeah. What, what did you think of Keenan Davis though for Aston Villa? I thought he looked quite a handful, and he's kind of come out of nowhere. Yeah, uh, quite exciting, and they need all they can get at the moment. But it's funny we talk about unexpected knock-ons of of, of the little hiatus. Would Would John McGinn have played again this season? Probably not, McGinney Esther. Um, well, he wouldn't have done because he was injured. But coming back from injury, he was he started every game before he got injured. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm saying, would would he have been able to play if the season had finished on on schedule? No. So everything's coming up Villa mm. at the moment. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm still really quite unconvinced with them. I think it's more likely that they'll finish in the bottom three than yeah. not. And you were talking about Jim earlier about what an enormous club they are and. What a, what a stadium Villa Park is! Mm. One of the iconic stadiums of, um, of of English football, but I, I think that has made us kind of overlook that it's been tough for them this season. Yeah. Really, I mean, they can't even fill it. Really tough. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole end is still sucking the ball in. <laughs> Luke said yesterday on the ramble that he thinks that Villa are, are one of the most overrated teams to have come up from the championship and, and play in the Premier League. Would you agree with that, what, Jim? Because of the size of the club or because of the money they've spent? I think or... a bit of both, really. Yeah. The fact that I think it's more to do with expectation. I think everyone expected Villa to do better than they have done. Yeah, I think that's... I, I don't think that's true of Villa fans. Two of my good friends are both Villa fans and they've, they have not been positive at all. They, they've effectively expected to go back down. But I think the status of the club has, has, has fooled a lot of people, mm-hmm. which is annoying for Villa because it puts extra pressure on them. This is like when, when a big club get into a sort of death spiral and start to lose. Uh, you, you've seen it with Man United, you see it with Arsenal all the time. Like It's not that hard to beat them because they're not as good as they once were, but every time they lose, it's a disaster and it makes it worse. Right. And this is a sort of microcosmic version of that in the, in the relegation battle, I think. So I think, yeah, they, are, um, uh, they are, have been a little... I, I think expectations on them are for them to be a bit better than they are and perhaps... You know, a bit unreasonable in terms of where they are. They have come back up, and you know, it was it was really t- really difficult for Villa to go down. They were they, they hadn't been relegated for such a long time, and it kind of loomed over them for a while. And I think yeah, they, they spent a few years trying to get it done, didn't they? <laughs> I mean, they, they could have their own Netflix show like Sunderland yeah, if things had gone a little so. bit differently. They they were in that same kind of zone those two for a, for a very long time. Yeah, where's their Amazon show? Where's their Netflix show? <laughs> exactly. Well, they don't even get that. Anti Villa bias. <laughs> They're not hapless enough, Jim. Is that what you're saying? Apparently so. I mean, right. they did take the word "prepared" off of their badge, didn't they? So they at least got <laughs> some sort of self-awareness there. Well, there you go. The match finished a goalless draw, which means that Aston Villa stay second bottom in the Premier League, and that was their game in hand. So now it's all even, Stevens across the board. Everyone's played 29 matches. Aston Villa on 26 points, five clear of Norwich at the bottom, and one point from safety. And for Sheffield United, they moved up into sixth place. They're a point behind United in fifth. I think it's going to be a fascinating end to the season as to who's going to get those those Champions League places, really. And if we could see Sheffield United in the Champions League, I mean, it would be 
quite incredible. The work that Chris Wilder has done with this side, just unbelievable. And, and speaking of the Champions League, this is some very interesting news that's come out this week. The end of this Champions League season is going to be played in a tournament style. I feel like we're very much into tournament football. We're, yeah. we're, we're doing everything we can to make up for the loss of the Euros this year. But there is going to be a kind of tournament feel to the end of this Champions League season and the knockout games are going to be played uh, from the quarterfinal onwards. Is that right? Quarterfinal onwards in Lisbon. Yeah, so there, there are a couple of second legs that, that need to be polished up. We talked about Manchester City, Chelsea Bayern, of, of, of course, as, as, as well. And then over, what is it, 11 days, um, we've got like one leg quarterfinals, all in neutral venues. It's all going to be in uh, Stadio de Luz, Benfica's ground and Jose Alvalad, which is, is, is Sportings. So I think it'll be absolutely fantastic. I have very fond memories of the, 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 the Champions League in Lisbon. Of course, the finals there in, in 2014. I was over working at it for that. I remember walking through, I think it was Hossier Square, in um, Lisbon on the morning of the game and seeing the Sky Sports lot were in a cafe having breakfast. Jamie Carragher was having a Magnum for breakfast. What? Wow. That's holiday, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, really, really <laughs> that is. That is a proper holiday start. Well, look, we've had an email about this from Gavin Alexander. He says, Dear Football Ramble Daily, long-time listener, rare-time emailer. Do email us again, Gavin. Uh, he said, I quite like this new format for the Champions League and would be pretty happy to see it be made the permanent format going forward. The round of 16 remaining home and away fixtures still allows the fun and merits of that style of tournament. But once we get to the final eight in one country... The tournament begins to feel like a major international tournament, but with teams of genuine quality rather than substandard international quality. Yeah. Uh, he says uh, it would also give a chance for England to host the Champions League with the seven games being hosted at St. James's Park, Stadium Alight, Old Trafford, Anfield, Tottenham, Villa Park and Wembley with the entire country alive with football fever. He says, just a thought and hope this suggestion goes down better than the FA Cup bullshit a few months ago, which <laughs> I don't know anything about. So what, what's that about? What was the FA so, Cup suggestion? Um, a, a, a very dear listener called Damien Cunningham, who we were in retrospect quite harsh to, we love you really, Damien, uh, suggested in an email uh, a while ago that um, the, the, the FA Cup, I think it was from the semifinals, possibly onwards, or may, maybe throughout the tournament, I can't remember his exact plan, was that you should get points in the league um, as well to make it, just to, to sort of bring some joy back to the FA Cup. We all quite vociferously That's disagreed odd. with yeah. Damien and we had a sort of, we had a little back and forth. Mark Ashley definitely of, disagreed with Damien. Yeah, yeah we had a, a little back and forth for a long time about uh, about that. The, the various merits of that idea. I don't think this one's quite as controversial as that. And I, I like the idea of it and I'm looking forward to this new Champions League format. But I do love two-legged football and I like away goals as well. I know a lot of people don't, but I think it adds a lot. And I th I, I worry well, I like the cruelty of away goals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. I, I think what's interesting here is um, what uh, Gavin says about... Um, as, as, as Jules said, uh, with teams of genuine quality rather than substandard international yeah. quality. <laughs> Never have dared mail this in for Marcus Speller, exactly. would he? Yeah, I wonder if Gavin no may not be English. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think you have to ask why international tournaments are sometimes substandard. And it's because it's a tournament at the end of the season when everyone's knackered. Yes. I mean, 
it's not just that the teams can go out and buy better players mm. and, and, and stuff like that and that you do have these super clubs who are better than international teams, although that is part of it. Yeah. Um, I think this would diminish the strength of the Champions League. I think this is a, a one-off for an exceptional situation. I'm going to really, really enjoy it. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think one-off is what it should be. Also, FIFA trying to implement this ridiculous sort of club world cup like proper like world cup yeah. size club world cup thing anyway so this is kind of a little bit of a halfway house between that so i don't know mm. where i stand on it i i think the the club world cup thing is is stupid and is such a stretch on clubs and on players with with a calendar being what it is but i wonder could you know could the authorities look at this and go actually this works maybe we could make the champions league like this so we can have our cake and eat it and i think that would be I think that would be bad. I, so I, I personally don't think we need to keep messing with the Champions League. I think it works really well. Who do you think will win the Champions League, though, Jules? If it, I, I know it's difficult because we haven't even got it's the hard. last eight yet, but, but who do you reckon off the top of your head? Well, I think that you have to put Bayern Munich up there, don't you? Especially the way that they've restarted the Bundesliga campaign and obviously won another title. They've got to be one of the favourites for it. Um, and I think you have to put Manchester City up there as a favourite as well. Yeah, I think obviously there's the irresistible twist of them winning it and not being yeah. able to de de yeah. defend it possibly. Um, but I think there's there's reason in saying um, buying a favourites. I mean, I, I know uh, Kate, Pete, and Luke just wanted to sweep the achievement of their eighth <laughs> consecutive title uh, under the carpet yesterday <laughs> on, on Football Ramble Daily. But I think, and I wrote this for the Guardian this week. I think it's genuinely um, worth applauding. Bayern's achievement and not just because it's such a weird season but you bear in mind uh, you go back to December Bayern was 7th in the table this was just after Hansi Flick had, had, had taken over and he's done such an incredible job there they're better to watch than they have been in any time since the Guardiola years um, they're ruthlessly efficient of course and the football they've played there's just no arguing with it um, they, they've been tremendous and Dortmund up until that dreadful game against Mainz that they lost last night um, which I was co-commentating on um, they've, they've been almost faultless in the second half of the season but they haven't been able to get close to Bayern because they've been so incredibly good and I think the thing that Flick has done really really well because he's truly connected with the players he's managed to do that thing that Karl-Heinz Rummenigge wanted to do for years and years and years which is make the team younger and you look at everyone who signed a, a new contract during <clears throat> pardon me, during lockdown, led by Alfonso Davies, who's been brilliant. Mm. The fact that he's been made the permanent left-back has been down to Flick. The fact that David Alaba has emerged as an incredible centre-back happened under Flick. There's no argument anymore whether Joshua Kimmich is a right-back or a midfielder. He's a midfielder. Leon Goretzka looks incredible since he's, he's come back. So they've got this whole young core, which, you know, if you do want someone difference with the Bundesliga in the next couple of years shut your ears now or go and uh, make a cup of tea or something because they look so powerful going forward and also because of the connection he's made with guys like Thomas Muller who's had the best season he's had an absolutely yonks Jerome Boateng who they were trying to give away if we're going back a year or so looks the part again he really looks the part again uh, to connect with all the different age brackets in the squad I think is incredible of course a couple of people have said well, the disadvantage they've got is their season's going to finish. So they're going to have a significant stoppage mm, before. Because even though they've got, the, they've got the cup final on July 4th against Leverkusen, so they're still going for the treble, um, they're going to have, what, best part of a, a month off or a little bit more than a mm. month off 
um, before the before the Champions League restarts. And because of the situation that they're they're in against Chelsea, having won the first leg three 0 away, it's almost as if the second leg will be a kind of play in for yes. them. Why 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 not? I, I, not not quite a friendly, obviously, but you know it'll be it should be pretty smooth for them and a good way to set themselves up for the last eight. But I actually think that the time off will do them a little bit of good. Like people say, oh, footballers have been idle for X amount of months before football's coming. They've not been idle. They've yeah. been stuck in their houses. They've been subject to, like, I guess, the same anxieties and difficulties as a lot of the rest of us, whether they've got a lot of money or not, because it's a very uncertain time. The idea that for footballers is that's been some sort of holiday is absolute bloody nonsense. The thing is, I remember spending a bit of time around Liverpool last year before the Champions League final, doing a media day up there. And it was just after the final day of the Premier League season, where, of course, they had to evacuate the disappointment of losing to City on a final day. Mm. But asked how Jurgen Klopp would negotiate, asked him how he'd negotiate the the, the, the time between, what is it, two weeks, two and a bit weeks until the, yeah. the, 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 the Champions League between, final? The FA Cup in between, isn't there, yeah. Yeah, and uh, he went, well, we're just going to not speak to each other for a bit. <laughs> we're, we're just gonna we're just gonna I've go had enough of them. yeah we're just gonna go and like hang out on our own some people are going home some people are gonna go on holiday for a little bit i think that's really valuable and mm. for Bayern to be able to do that then come back then train hard i think that puts them in a really good spot yeah i, I, don't, I don't think we're talking about a, a loss of form there gim who do you think is gonna win it i think it's hard to argue with Bayern. um I think the other because I I think the, the circumstances of this situation are are so unique and that they have to be taken into account and it will be the team that deals with them best and Bayern look best place to do that. I think the only looking at who's left really the only threat I think would be possibly Juventus um, and obviously they're one nil down from the first leg anyway mm. uh, so they might not even and, kind of carry uh, through uh, anger with Maurizio Sarri is 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 yeah. building as as well. Of course, they lost the Coppa Italia final yeah. on, on on Wednesday night, despite having a forty two year old goalkeeper playing like Uncle Albert when he's got that miracle back here in Peckham Market. <laughs> yeah, I saw somebody um, tweet saying that um, Gigi Buffon could save twenty twenty. <laughs> incredible. Yeah, what what a performance from him. But yeah, I mean, even that is kind of. You kind of clutch in a little bit there. I think Bayern are by far the by far the favourites. I guess we we get to see how sort of Barcelona will uh will 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 you know respond to Napoli. But yeah, I, I think I I don't know. Maybe this could be the sort of weird year that Atletico could win it. I mean, they did mm. knock the holders out after yeah. all. Mm. As we're speaking, they won five nil at Osasuna last night, which is an amazing result. It's a really super difficult place to go and. I was just speaking to, to 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 someone actually just before kickoff, and we were saying, "Yeah, they never look like they're going to thrash anyone today," yeah. <laughs> and they went straight out and, and and did that. Diego Costa looks the part again. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he's a born again nice bloke. You see the little um, <laughs> goal celebration for. Is that, is that possible? Apparently, I didn't it is. watch any of that. The, last well, night. well, at the at the weekend when he scored his goal at, at Athletic, he held up a shirt. For um, Virginia, one of the um, one of the um, Atletico women's team players, who's recently had surgery to remove a, a, a brain tumor, oh, wow. and it was it was a lovely moment, oh, and it, it shows how super seriously mm. Atletico take the women's game as as well. I mean, obviously they get some humongous crowds for for some of their their big games, so it's great to see that. But, but he looks lean, he looks fit, he's playing well. 
And interestingly... Lockdown that, done him good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And obviously that that Liverpool game uh, is is going to be absolutely pivotal for them. And not just in the sense of it's seen them through to the quarterfinals of the Champions League and it knocked out the holders. But the fact that they brought on... Because they were... It's easy to forget, or maybe it's not easy to forget for Liverpool fans. They were getting absolutely battered in that game, Atletico, <laughs> at various points, really like hanging onto the floor by their fingernails. Yeah. And they brought Marcos Llorente on to gum up the midfield. They bring on this holding midfielder who scores two beautiful goals and, yeah. and wins he scored them the game. yesterday as well. Yeah, that's right, because they've in the first two games back, Simeone had a look at that and thought, you know what, maybe you could play up front. <laughs> and he, he played up front alongside Costa instead of Morata at the weekend. And then they brought him on as a sub yesterday and looked fantastic, yeah. scored again. So it's, that whole Liverpool game has been a really weird revelation for them. Yeah, I mean, he, it's all about bustle with Atletico, isn't it? Like all over the pitch, mm. just like just getting that, that harrying and that, that, and that solidity. And I suppose it works to have a de- effectively a defensive striker because uh, it's just how they sort of do things. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if they are ever going to win the Champions League, it's going to be like that, isn't it? It's going to be them eking it out and making it difficult for whoever they play. So yeah, I would love to see them win it. I would absolutely love to see Atletico win it. I know their chairman said that the team uh, who beat the holders should be the team crowned champions, <laughs> which that. is hilarious. Nice yeah. try. Nice yeah. try. Nice one. No, not, not doesn't quite work like that um well it'll be fascinating to see the champions league play out in in a very different way that we've seen it already and who knows it might it might create a bit more of a level playing field we probably wouldn't have seen liverpool's remarkable comeback against barcelona in the champions league Mm. had they not been playing that match at anfield for example so Mm. you never know we might see some very different outcomes from the games to what we're expecting in this new format and i'm sure we'll talk more about that as the weeks go on as we build up to it and that's it for the football from last night uh, and what we've got to look forward to there is a couple of games tonight. Just a quick nod to the League Two playoff semi-final first legs. Colchester United against Exeter City and Northampton against Cheltenham Town, both kicking off later today. Do um, you just want to get in this we, thing about Cardboard Shack? We just shack? have to talk about <laughs> Cardboard Shack. Uh, so if you haven't seen this, Northampton um, friend of the club, Shaquille O'Neal, has got a cardboard cutout in the stands and there's also going to be Donald Trump in the stands as well. There's a lot of weird characters. I hear there's a Dominic Cummings one in there somewhere. There's Phil Mitchell from EastEnders. He he turned up at... um, Dominic Cummings turned up at uh, Aussie um, Rugby League, didn't he? Ah, yes. I saw a picture of that as well. In a cutout. Yeah. 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 He didn't drive there. (laughs) I mean, he would have if he he could have. Who would you have a cutout of, Jim? Um, I think it's a, a... real missed opportunity using actual real life people um because you know they're three-dimensional so i would i'd go for cartoon characters i would have the entire population of springfield basically behind <laughs> one goal you got the space when else are you going to be able to do that <laughs> play in front of the simpsons well with Shaq, i mean you know maybe if like cheltenham could look at it and say well if northampton have got Shaq, maybe we could do some sort of deal with lebron james to promote space jam 2 which is meant mm. to be coming out next year oh you know, a few cartoon characters, a few basketballers following on from your Simpsons idea. Yeah. So this Saturday, Jim, because we're not going to get to talk about this until next week now, mm. it's Brighton Arsenal, isn't it? It is. I yeah. wish I could have got a David Louise cut out to sit in the annex. <laughs> and I'm absolutely devastated that he's going to miss the Brighton game because we could do with, you know, someone yeah. giving away a sloppy penalty. Well, I mean, we've not set off the Mustafi bomb yet. <laughs> so that'll <laughs> that's I mean Let's hope that comes probably got that Saturday. to look forward to I'm sure yeah. it's also a good opportunity for whoever does the sound on that to maybe introduce some canned laughter <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm very much looking forward to that game, though. Of course, it's the first televised three o'clock kickoff in the UK as well uh, on Saturday. Anyway, that's enough from us. Um, on tomorrow's show, join Marcus. Andy, you're back again. I am. Uh, and Luke Moore for the preview show. They're going to be looking ahead to the first full weekend of Premier League football, including a couple of games tomorrow night, Norwich, Southampton and Tottenham, Manchester United in the Premier League. That was fun, boys. I enjoyed this new yeah. format. Wasn't it? That was lovely. Jim, yeah, fun. have a wonderful birthday. Thank you very much. See you boys soon. This was a Stakhanov production.